This may be too controversial for some, but I'm riding. Southern rap artists from the heart of Dixon. Rhymes go hard, the hammer of John Henry. Few new dudes who spew get pinned with me. True blue hues get tongue green with envy. I'm from where the trappers and the fashion enthusiasts are the ones that throw our dancing and the rest go in obscurity. I'm a mosaic in a homogenous area. What the formulaics manufactured by the plethora. Damn black native go again, picking up the pen. Getting on the song of then, rapping body better than. Welcome to 10 Minute Tech Call. This is Ryan Weber from the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Our opening music today is Black Confederate, a track from Black Native, a rapper from Alabama who now resides in Maryland. He'll be my guest in the second half of the show. But first, I'd like to introduce our first guest. What up, doe? What it do? My name is Victor Del Hierro. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Texas, El Paso, and my research is focused on hip hop, tech com, and migration. I invited Victor on the podcast to talk about his recent article, DJs, Playlists, and Community, Imagining Communication Design Through Hip-Hop, which was published last fall in Communication Design Quarterly. The article connects the practices of DJs, hip-hop communities, and technical communication, especially as they're exemplified in the legacy of Houston artist DJ Screw. Since so few people have put together these three things, DJs, hip-hop, and technical communication, I was really excited to get Victor's take on it. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast, Victor. I'm really excited to talk with you about techcom and hip hop today, which are two things that don't get connected a lot. So I'm really excited to talk about their connections. And I guess we'll just start there. Um, you wrote a new article that connects uh, DJ and hip hop practices with technical communication. So how do these two things overlap? For me, the, the DJ is the best connecting point because DJs live in this kind of dual place of constant consumption and production. Right. So they have these performances and everything that goes into these performances is a practice of listening and a practice of understanding sort of their texts and their records. And then they sort of transfer that into something that somebody else is now going to consume and listen to. And so I think being in that in-between space kind of exemplifies what we do as technical communicators. And I think um, how we often find ourselves as sort of the mediators of communication. But I think hip hop broadly is a really sort of exciting and important site to look at because of this sort of active performance, but there's also the ability to reflect on it, right? So we can look at what people are doing in the moment just to find examples of how to do things. But at the same time, the conversations that arise out of hip hop, the, the ability to sort of reflect on those things and how all those, you know, things that happen at events and then your sort of participation in them influences what's going to happen in the next event. So I think there's this really cool trade-off of learning and constant sort of generation of knowledge building that is, I think, is exciting and a good place to look at for hip-hop and for tech com. And I think just kind of focusing on that duality of the DJ, I think, is, is something that um, we can really kind of build off of and kind of take forward. The DJ kind of occupies this space between texts and audiences in a way that technical communicators do as well. Is that sort of the point that you're making? Yeah, I think it's just kind of another example. What I think the DJ brings to that kind of conversation is the relationship that they have to an audience, right? And it's built on call and response, thinking about how that might impact our work or thinking about how that might impact how we create relationships or how we might emphasize that relationship, right? That ends up being also part of the heart of the DJ performance, right? He or she's continuously listening, reacting, and then thinking about where they might insert new voices, insert new, you know, maybe new artists, new songs, or maybe looking at a sample and inserting that sample to let people know where that's from. I and mean, I think that can translate to how we might 
want to sort of make some interventions as to communicators, knowing that we always have that ability and that responsibility to do those kinds of things. That helps, I think, take whatever we're doing and maybe moving it to a next step, right? So we're not sort of this, just this passive median in between sort of communication, but there's we do have some agency there. And I think the hip hop DJ sort of manifests that. And then you think about like the other side of having to do all this work and the, and the technical skill of a DJ, right? The DJ has got to be able to build his whole sound system. He's got to know how the whole thing works. And then if something doesn't go right, he's got to know how to improvise, you know, in this day and age where we have, you know, people who still do it the traditional way with turntables, but there's also now all these different kinds of digital interfaces for DJing, having to know how all that stuff works, how to be able to utilize it, but always being able to go back to the concrete sort of hardware um, turntables and and seeing how these interact. And then um, one of my favorite things about it is like for DJs playing a show and somebody wants to really wants to play a song, right? They can always figure out an audio jack that can let them sort of pull it off of their phone, right? Not only creating documents or text, but it's also all the technical skill that goes into it. And I think one of the things that really impressed me, I think about learning more about DJ Screw is he was really, really a strong DJ and he was really committed to his craft as a DJ. And so I think what he was able to do as a DJ really influenced and impacted what he was able to do for the Houston community. And I think finding examples of I have these skill set or I really like to do these kinds of different types of text or I'm really good at making things on InDesign or whatever, learning how to sort of channel those skills and applying it to a space or a company or a you know, profit or wherever you're working, right? Being able to sort of understand how you might be able to take the skills that you're really good at and applying it to the spaces that you're working in, I think um, is something that we really see that comes out of, of DJs and looking at it from a tech comp perspective. No, that's really interesting because it sounds like what's going on here is you've got DJs who through this call and response are essentially getting user feedback, if you want to <laughs> phrase it that way. Yeah, you've got all this repurposing of texts, you know, getting these sound clips and making something new out of them. And then kind of this user generated content, right? Because, you know, you all, someone brings their song, they can play it. DJ can play this user-generated content and then sort of the, the technical part of being a technical communicator, setting up this sophisticated sound system. So you've got all these elements of tech comm, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned DJ Screw and your article is about DJ Screw. And for those of us who aren't really familiar with him, can you just tell us a little bit about him and why you chose to focus on him? DJ Screw, a.k.a. Robert Earl Davis Jr., rest in peace. Originally from Smithfield, Texas, moved out to Houston when he was in junior high. He was a DJ out of Houston between 1990 and 2001, who is sort of credited with being the originator of the screwed and chop style. And this is significant because this kind of style became what was now the signature sound out of Houston, right? Houston's its major city. It's a major city in the South, where at the time that DJ Screw got to Houston and got started and started making tapes. There wasn't a lot of representation of Houston rappers in hip hop in general. There was, you know, a record label, Rap-A-Lot Records, and there was the Ghetto Boys, but they were sort of representative of sort of a larger Houston sound or, or voice. There wasn't a lot of sort of sounds that was more natural to Houston, or at least more coming out of Houston, right? The beats were from those early records were still heavily influenced by the East Coast sound in hip hop. So when DJ Screw came around and started making these tapes and slowing them down, it really connected well with the community in Houston. He had learned about slowing down music from another DJ, Daryl Scott, who's in the Houston club scene. Sort of the distinction that Screw did was adding his DJ skills and his his particular understanding of how to DJ and, and scratches and the, and the crossfading and sort of all these different kinds of techniques and applying it to that slowed down sound, which kind of gets its name from hearing very 
echoey sound. So he would have at least two turntables going and he would play the same record on them and he would play them about one beat behind them. And so he'd slow them down and then echo sort of certain words or emphasize certain phrases or add some scratches. At the height of DJ Screw's powers, he was probably working with at least four turntables at one time um, because he was live recording all his mixtapes. And so I think the amazing thing about his mixtapes is that they're all live performances. So I think they represent a really interesting part of hip hop culture that we see as manifesting in Houston in the ways that it did. Originally was not the intention to focus on DJ Screw. I really wanted to do a project that emphasized hip hop's ability to grow and to move into different spaces, right? We have this global culture that is really only becomes global because people can make it their own. But what drew me to Houston was that you have this culture that's global everywhere, but in Houston, people only want to listen to this one Houston sound. And I thought like, how could you be so insular when you have this this range of- Right, all this stuff to listen to, yeah. Yeah, and, and they were listening to it, but they just wanted to hear it from DJ Screw's turntables. And I think sort of looking at what that meant and why that was happening, I think is sort of at the heart of the project. What, you know, once I started learning and, and, and reading and researching, I realized how influential and instrumental DJ Screw was at the center of this, right? And if you think about the, the history of hip hop and where it kind of gets started at, there are three DJs at the center of the history of hip hop in New York City. So I think the DJ sort of plays a really important role in helping sort of grow communities and cultures. And I think that really is what made me want to focus more on DJ Screw. And then sort of you read about him and you hear about how he was really personable person. There are stories of he'll be talking to somebody and somebody would come up and try to interrupt them. And he would stop them and be like, I'm talking to this guy right now. Happy to talk with you in a little bit, but let me just finish up here. And so sort of being very respectful, being very open. As his mixtape empire started to grow, he just, he created space for Houston artists. And I think all of that, I think is something to think about and incorporate into our work in tech communication. He sort of took this sound and made it distinctly Houston in a way. And that seems to be what part of your article is about is kind of that from a tech comm sensibility, he localized this sound. Because one of the things I saw in your article, if this is right, is that he made tapes that people could listen to like on a long commute, right? Because like people in Houston are driving all over the place. So like it's for Houston, right? It's not, you know, people may not be doing that somewhere else. Can you talk about kind of like how he made this sound localized for this community? The connection to me between accessibility and localization, I think is really interesting and, and comes out of this example. And so the ways I kind of put it together in the article is that there's these listening practices that exist in Houston. And then there's sort of anytime DJ Screw talked about what the, this chopped and screwed sound was, he would say, I slow down the record so people can hear things, but I also slow them down in a way and I sort of mix and chop them up so that you can feel them. And so there's sort of two levels of consumption there or audiences interacting with text here in this kind of way. And he's kind of adapting to them. You mentioned the car stuff and car culture becomes sort of always existed in Houston, but becomes a bigger thing with the screw and chop sound for a variety of reasons. Not to mention that, you know, at some point DJ Screw starts getting requests for, for shout outs on his tapes, right? And so he shouts you out, you play that as you drive by. Right. So people can hear DJ Screw shouting you out. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds really good in the car, right? So now he's going into the sessions and thinking like, what records would sound really good in the car right now? What records would sound really good slowed down in the car right now? What records slowed down sound good in the car and are saying something that I want them to hear, right? Being able to chop a record up and slow it down and emphasize certain words, right, allows him to sort of say, I really want you to pay attention to this part of the song. I really want you to pay attention to this lyric. Let me go back and forth and play it over and over again or sort of repeat it a couple of times. And I think that creates a listening experience that is kind of interactive is, is building on call and response and it's not sort of making it a passive experience not that sort of listening is ever a passive experience but i think this is sort of 
a, a lot more proactive. What DJ Screw is trying to do is open up an accessibility in that kind of way. And I think all of these things draw from a local perspective. I mentioned the, the shout outs, but I think um, one of the other ways that DJ Screw was able to localize him is his ability to bring in the the very local, local sound of where he was from, right? He was in Third Ward, Houston. People talk about what they loved about his tapes and what he was doing. When people were on there, they were talking about the streets, the actual little streets that they lived on, that they could see these things from a very localized perspective. They could start to see themselves. And then he would bring in a lot of the sort of the local language and slang from that area to sort of the tapes and put them on there. And so all of a sudden, you know, you're listening to one of DJ Screw's mixtapes and there's a Tupac song, there's a Biggie song. There's a Dr. Dre song. And then all of a sudden, in conversation with that, you're hearing things about your street. You're hearing things about your neighborhood. You're hearing words that you only hear in Houston, right? And so putting these things in conversation together, and I think emphasizing that, is how he's able to sort of localize all this content. So we have like all these layers of localization that build into the accessibility of it that go from the listening experience to sort of the identification of being able to hear yourself. And I think these are kinds of things that are emphasized in hip hop. And I think that we can sort of really start to pay attention to. And I think it's something that being in hip hop sort of teaches you to really listen for specific kinds of languages or to really try to recognize the ways people are already sort of speaking or the ways people have already valued certain things in language and really emphasizing that and looking towards that and building off of that. And I think a, a really big part of that is also respecting sort of where certain language comes from. You know, I wouldn't come into Houston and just be throwing Houston slang around to try to fit in. But if I heard it, I would recognize it and understand like, okay, this is sort of what this conversation is going for. You know, there's that sort of learning to build upon that respect about so how certain people communicate or the language that people are using, I think becomes a really sort of important skill. And I think something that becomes refined. Once I was able to, I wouldn't say necessarily crack the code of Houston slang or, or any of that, but I think once I was able to pay attention to these localized sort of examples of hip hop in Houston, sort of the data analysis and looking at the tapes and listening and reading sort of really opened up a lot more of what I was able to sort of understand from things. There's a, a great archive at the University of Houston. Shout out to Julie Grobe, who's the curator there. And I got to work with a lot and she's really amazing. But the first time I visited the archive, none of it really made sense. And then I sat down and listened to tapes and, and, and learned more about Screw. And then I went back to the archive and I was like, oh, so much more of this stuff makes sense. You know, the playlists that appear in my article, I looked at those years ago and I was like, ah, that's, I mean, these are cool, but I don't really know what to do with them, right? After sort of figuring out like what these lists really meant and I think sort of seeing them like, this is a, a moment of collaboration, but this is also a moment of DJ Screw connecting with somebody and figuring out what they like and then knowing that he was going to take that list of, you know, 10, 19 songs and turn it into something that was completely distinct from what was on paper, right? What you got on a tape was added with so many extra layers and it had so much more content that was going to satisfy what that person was asking for in his list, but also was going to get maybe some random samples dropped here and there. And maybe, you know, he hadn't thought about this one record that connects these two other records. And so I think it's sort of being able to see all that allowed me to sort of make so much more sense of artifacts that had already existed and had already seen. And one of the things you've mentioned a couple of times is it sounds like DJ Screw and these other DJs have a very reflective communication process. They're thinking about what they're doing in the same way that technical communicators might think about what they're doing and making very conscious and sort of thought out communication decisions. Is that fair to say? Yeah, most definitely. And I think one of the one of the big things that I want to emphasize in my work and the, and the ways we talk about hip hop is that 
everything is incredibly intentional, is incredibly purposeful. A lot of times hip hop gets understood as being very spontaneous, but these people are very good at what they do because they're constantly practicing and constantly refining their craft. You can practice hip hop on your own, but you don't ever sort of learn more about hip hop without engaging and creating community with other people. So, you know, all of that stuff is very intentional and it comes from somewhere and there's there's definitely a lot of preparation that goes into this this kind of work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and it seems like it's been a trend lately, a welcome trend, that Techcom is kind of recognizing communication that it hadn't always paid attention to as being, you know, legitimate, purposeful, technical communication. You know, I've seen this with the work on YouTube, uh, beauty tutorials recently, uh, gaming, you know, there's debate about whether cooking instructions are technical communication. This seems like, you know, another example of, you know, it's not stuff that, you know, we're writing user help about how to use Microsoft Word, but that (laughs) the idea of what technical communication is, is broadening, I think, for the better. Is that part of your purpose of kind of bringing hip hop into the DJ practices into this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so. And it, and it's to kind of open up more opportunities for people to see themselves in this, in tech com. And I think bring in more voices, because I think, as you mentioned, all those examples are going to bring in more voices and more ideas into the into the conversation that can only help us produce better technical communication. You've alluded to some, but what kind of lessons can technical communicators, more traditionally defined, learn from the hip hop and DJ communities? You know, I think the the heart of it is really learning how to engage meaningfully with your audience and building text or media or in working across modalities um, with sort of concrete ways to sort of build with communities. It's an abstract skill that initially comes off as abstract, but the more you sort of think about it and engage with it, um, it becomes a lot easier. And I think that is at the heart of what the DJ represents. I think they're the glue of a community. They have the ability to organize communities, thinking about how DJs create relationships, how they pay attention to local context, how they try to make their text accessible. I think that's really not just paying attention to those things individually, but how to continuously do those things in concert with each other, right? It's not just localization in one place and accessibility in another place. It's kind of putting those things together and then building that from sort of user-generated, if not sort of input, then sort of learning how to get that user-generated input without necessarily being so direct if that's not always the possibility, right? So picking up on certain clues, looking at the way certain language is being used. We don't always get to sit down and have focus groups with people, which would be great. So being able to recognize and sort of see things from that broad perspective and channeling that into your work and then doing the best you can with, I think, your technical skills. I think that there's still, despite being in that dual space of production and consumption, what makes a DJ is still what they have sort of what they bring to the table, you know, how well they refine their skills, you know, what their selection is of of songs and tracks, what helps them stand out, right? So there's still a lot of yourself that comes out in these things, even though you're always sort of speaking to and drawing from your audience. And so I think I think it's just another example that we can turn to for that includes sort of all this extra cultural connotations that we might not be able to sort of identify in other kinds of examples of technical communicators. The field is definitely moving in an awesome direction. I think that's why this piece is out now. And I think why I've sort of gravitated towards techcom, because I think there is a lot of great space to do this kind of work. The fact that we haven't studied hip hop from a techcom perspective also lends a lot to what we can do with hip hop. And I think, I don't want to say it's about legitimizing hip hop, but I do want to say that there are certain ways that techcom thinks about communication that would identify hip hop practitioners to be constantly building knowledge and to be constantly sort of refining strategies for communication, right? There's got to be something about hip hop that allows for it to grow so globally and not just globally 
but very specifically for communities that are, don't always have a voice. And the fact that hip hop is a space that people feel comfortable inserting their voice and telling their own story, there's a lot of power in that. Techcom is a space where we can really tease that out and why that's happening, right? And we can think about localization from that perspective. And that sort of gives us the language to say like, okay, these people are doing this localizing. And it's exciting, I think, for both Techcom to think about hip hop, but I think it's also exciting for hip hop to think about Techcom. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great intersection. Um, and I'm excited to see what you do next with it. If people want to hear more DJ Screw or any DJ Screw, we didn't put any in because of, of legal issues, but if people want to hear him, where can they go? So there's a couple things on like the streaming services. Definitely YouTube has a lot of stuff. A journalist by the name of Lance Scott Walker, he's a great journalist out of Houston. Um, I think he lives in New York now. He just, he put out a, a new, I guess a, a revised version of his previous book of interviews on Houston artists, but he's got a great article on DJ Screw that includes a lot of audio clips, but also he has, if you sort of just Google Lance Scott Walker, usually his radio show will pop up and he's always playing DJ Screw stuff. All his stuff is out there. If you want to buy them directly from his, his shop that I think his cousin runs now for him is screwedupperecordsandtapes.com. You can buy the mixtapes directly from him. I think there's at least 300 on there that you can look from. And yeah, it's, just, it's exciting to be able to keep Screw's memory alive. And I think he touched a lot of people. And I think to add to his legacy and to really emphasize him as a, as a community sort of person, this is exciting. And I think I'm excited for people to go out and listen to him and, and see what they think. Because I think it's the first time you hear it, if you've never heard it, it definitely puts you for for a little bit of a loop and it's definitely something different. Awesome. Well, hey, Victor, thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Ryan. I enjoyed talking with Victor so much that I wanted to take this topic even further by talking to a current hip-hop artist about their work. I found one on Facebook. I am Black Native. I'm a rapper out of Alabama, and I'm here for a 10-minute tech comp. Black Native has lived throughout Alabama, including in Huntsville, where I live now. I really wanted to talk to him about some of the themes that came up during Victor's interview, like the way that where he's from affects his music, the way he connects with his audience, and the thought he puts into his message. I'll play the interview in a moment, but first I wanted to give you another sample of Black Native's music so you can hear his sound and some of the topics he raps about. You'll get another short clip of his music after the interview as well. I want to thank Black Native for doing the interview and for giving us permission to play a bit of his music. This clip comes from the track DSA PSA, off his album Furious Styles. Welcome to the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm really excited to talk with you about hip hop and the work that you do. I guess to start out with, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself as an artist? Yeah, so myself as an artist, I started rapping almost graduating my, my bachelor year. I just kind of came with the approach of I wanted to be the change that I wanted to hear on the radio. You know, that's, that was my approach. So being that I didn't like what I was hearing, instead of complaining about it, I wanted to be an artist that just, hey, this is what I would like to hear on the radio. So that's how, you know, I got into it. When you say you didn't like what you hear on the radio, what didn't you like? So this was around, I started dibbling dabbing like around, ooh, maybe, yeah, like 2007, 2006. Like, I didn't like how the South was being represented to everybody else. This was a time when like 
Soldier Boy was big and a lot of the snap dancing and all those crazes was going on. And so at the time, only like Lil Wayne or T.I. was like respected as a Southern artist. And so like everybody else was like just saying that, oh, the South is responsible for the downfall of hip hop. And I didn't like that. But I also I didn't agree that it was a downfall, but I did agree that what was coming from our region wasn't a good representation. So you wanted to represent the South like you felt it deserved to be represented in hip hop. Yes. So what did you want to communicate? What did you want to say in your music? I wanted to just say that there is room for a Southern artist that's not the legends, basically. That there's still Southern artists down here who can rap about everyday life. There are Southern everymen down here. We're not all just, you know, trapping and turning up at the club. You know what I'm saying? So I just wanted to I just wanted to communicate that, you know, the South doesn't have a monolithic, you know, sound or image. Well, yeah. And that's, you know, I saw in your Facebook bio, one of the things you said was that your goal as an artist is to redeem the South. I know you talk about the South. One of your songs is Black Confederate. You say that you want to represent a different side of the South. How does being from the South kind of affect your music? Well, it affects it because the South is unique because... Even when the whole East Coast, West Coast rivalry was going on, you know, I was in like sixth and seventh grade, but like you kind of, you got, you got to see it from both sides and we, and it's kind of like we were a neutral zone. So it's kind of like, you know, what uh, Andre 3000 said on AT Aliens, you know, in the middle, we stay calm, we just drop bombs. So being from the South and ha- also having that image of, you know, these are the kind of beats that a Southerner supposed to rap on. A Southerner is supposed to rap like this. We supposed to sound like this. Even though we have some of the most innovative artists in hip hop, it still has that that stigma to it. That motivates me to um, say, hey, I'm from the South and I'm a, quote, lyrical rapper because a lot of people don't expect it. And when when people hear my music, they are surprised that I'm repping a state like Alabama because, again, you know, Alabama isn't really represented in hip hop as well. So all of those things affect my music, affect how I approach things, affect you know, what I talk about. So do you see your audience as like people outside of the South who say, oh, wow, I didn't know that this was the kind of sound that was coming from the South? Or are you rapping to people like fellow Southerners or both? Like, who do you see as your audience? Both. I see my audience as people who love hip hop. And more than likely, they probably come from a certain, probably an 80s baby such as myself, an 80s baby and earlier. You know, we're used to a certain balance that we came up having in hip hop from all regions because, hey, the South had Luke and Two Live Crew. And we also had like UGK, but we also had groups like Outkast. So it's now it's just a lack of balance. You know what I mean? I feel like that's my audience for those who are outside of the South who just want, you know, just some good music and something that's balanced. And also Southerners who feel like, yeah, where's my representation from the South? Because we, like I said, we all don't sell drugs. Some of us, we did go to college. You know, where is our representation? So I feel like that's who I'm for. Yeah, you want a wider audience to to see themselves reflected in hip hop. Mm-hmm, definitely. Do you do a lot of live shows? I haven't recently, but when I do my live shows, man, some of my live shows have been interesting. Like, well, first, I just want to say like, when I do a live show, the trend now is to kind of like rap behind your vocals. And I just don't believe in that because I feel like if you wanted the studio version, just listen to it. But again, I come from seeing 
you know, some of the groups that I've mentioned and other groups like the Roots actually being a hip hop band and, you know, watching things like MTV Unplugged where hip hop artists perform behind a live band or even just having a live feel. But nowadays, you know, it just doesn't happen. So when I came out with Black Confederate, I was living up here in Maryland a previous time. When I would walk in, I would walk in with, you know, the logo that I decided to use, you know, the all black Confederate flag with the white. And so, like, you know, I get funny looks at first. They're like, what, what is this? You know? <laughs> so then, you know, as I start to, like, rap and I start to say the lyrics of the song, I see the audience start to connect. And they be like, oh, that's what he's trying to say. And so after the performance, it's like, oh, I get it. You know, I, I don't try to do shock value, but at the same time, I do like to put on a good live show. That's why I like in preparation, I make sure, you know, I have my lyrics down. I try to bring props if I can. You know, I just do, I do believe in showmanship and I do believe in professionalism. So I try to merge the two. When you say, you know, when your audience is like, oh, that's what he's trying to say. Like, what do you want them to take message wise? Message wise, I just want them to be like, A, you know, that dude is a dope rapper. Again, you know, part of trying to build a fan base is connecting with the audience, but also letting them know, hey, you know, I do have skill. So I do want them to walk away saying, A, this guy is skilled. B, I do like when I hear, yo, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. You know, because I don't have the quote unquote image of a rapper either. Like I don't have a lot of jewelry or, you know, the flashiness that comes with it, the swag, you know, that comes with a lot of rappers. You know, again, I'm kind of like an everyman. I kind of do like the shock value of people not expecting to hear what they hear when they come out to see me. Third, I just want them to walk away saying that, uh, you know, it was worthwhile and that I've gained a fan. One of the things that my other guest, Victor, said is that, you know, hip hop and rap and DJing, they don't get enough credit for sort of the thoughtfulness that goes into it. You know, that there's a lot of reflectiveness that goes into the message, the work. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you do a lot of thinking about your rap and what you want to say and how it's going to be done. You know, what happens behind the scenes as far as, you know, you thinking out what you want to say or how you want to do it that we may not see necessarily just if we watch one of your videos or go to one of your shows? Every writing process for me is a little different. Sometimes I have the idea, but not quite have the beat or anything like that. And then sometimes the beat kind of, you know, steers me into a direction. As far as my process goes, I do want to convey it in a way that even though art will always have its interpretation, I want to be as clear as possible with my stance, whatever the stance is. I just want to be as clear as possible. I am a lyrical guy, so I do use multi-syllabic words and stuff like that, but it's nothing that you couldn't get the context of. I try to convey it in a way where it's an even kill balance of skill and interpretation. Because if they can't interpret what you're saying, or it just sounds like a bunch of word salad, then it's wasted. So when I'm writing, you know, I try to think of the best words that will rhyme and things like that, but I just try not to keep it so heavy that you just lose people. What kind of technical skills go into it? That's another thing that my other guest mentioned is that for DJing and hip hop, there's a lot of technical skills, again, that are kind of behind the scenes. Mostly <laughs> the technical part with me is just on the artist side. When it comes to the other stuff, I just I just know basic stuff, like as far as like just loading something like with all that, the tech part. But as far as the artist part, me being technical, I have learned how to, again, convey that message. And not only that, but like 
when the beat comes in, playing with flows, like how to get it out. You know what I mean? That's something that I, I have learned how to do. Try not to pretty much rap with the same cadence on every beat. With that comes rhyme choice because, you know, you may have to scratch this word because it's a little too long or too short, you know what I'm saying, to fit inside, you know, the one twos and the three fours of, you know, whatever flow you're trying to use. So on the technical side, I haven't learned anything electronic technically, but technical within the artistry, that's definitely something that I've learned. Yeah, awesome. Do you have anything else about kind of the messages that you want to convey? Again, I know you've got, you mentioned some songs that maybe a little bit controversial or that you're trying to sort of get a response from people, you know, what's your approach with that? Well, I, I talk about my experiences. You know, I have songs on my album, Furious Styles, that Black Confederate appears on. I have a song called Game Goofy, is what I call it. And it's about God, about people, women and men who are goofy, quote unquote, to the game that is happening to them. You know, you have a guy who oh, he's trying to be flashy at the club. He meets a woman who thinks he's attracted to him. He invites her over. And then they thing, you know, he's tied up and he gets robbed by her crew. You know what I'm saying? So I do use a lot of social commentary, but I also have like songs just just about driving. I have a Christmas song. On oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I have a song where I thought I, I thought I had a home invasion, but a bird snuck in my house. I just want to convey that, you know what I mean? You can show humor in hip hop. Some of my favorite artists like Ludacris, Redman, you know, they have a lot of humor in hip hop as well. So I just want to convey, you know, with my messages that I'm an everyday guy. I just happen to have this skill. I do represent the region where I'm from because my state, Alabama, hasn't had a lot of representation. We don't even have any gold or platinum albums from anybody from in hip hop. Whoever does that first is going to make hip hop history. And it's 2018. Hip hop has been out that long and we still haven't had that. You know, that's that's the point I just want to get across with people who listen to my music. He has skill. He's diverse. You know, I'm not coming off like, you know, some kind of super person. I'm just I'm just a, you know, a human being. But again, you know, just rapping about experiences. Awesome. And if we want to listen to your music, where can we hear it? OK, so my album, uh, Furious Styles, which is because, you know, people say I look like a younger Lawrence Fishburne and Furious Styles was his name on Boys in the Hood. You can hear that album at blacknative.bandcamp.com. You can also go to soundcloud.com backslash black hyphen native. From there, I have some other songs that, you know, just haven't been attached to a project yet. Just songs that I've been pushing out. Thanks so much for appearing today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. You gon' be told, forget it city I got a whole state I'm tryna attend to One of the very reasons I'm a dirty South Avenger Current hip-hop in the South has a dichotomous makeup Like gaming in the early 90s It's Nintendo with Sega Like Nappy Roots, Little Brother And others that came before me I chose to be a third option Like PlayStation from Sony Not about the appetite of you Wondering why it's named this Is this a play or words Emulation of someone famous This doesn't sound angry I'm curious how The explanation's right in front of you I'm serious, wow They say I look like Lawrence Fishburne, you viewing it now. Wasn't raised in the hood, but I got furious styles, man.